I can't hear anything, D. Oh. That's because it's not plugged in. I'll do that to you. Ah, oh, now I'm in. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. <coughs> Hello, and welcome to Business Without Bullshit. I'm Andy Ori, and alongside me is my co-host Pippa Sturt. Hi, Andy. And today we are joined by Steve Keen. Good name, Steve Keen. How you yeah, doing? Yeah, the number of, if I, the usual story, if the number of times people have said, oh, you're keen to me, it was, I got a pound for each, I'd probably own the Bank of England. I'm just pleased that I can pronounce it. That's what I'm happy about. And and, and, it's, and it's an enthusiastic name. It is very you, you keen. Know, you don't yeah, want like yeah. Steve, oh, what's the opposite of keen, miserable? Thistle thwathle. <laughs> you wouldn't <laughs> He wouldn't be able to pronounce that. He wouldn't want that as a surname. Down a telephone in France, you'd be there for hours. Steve is a professor of economics and an author of numerous books, his latest being The New Economics, and you were winner of the Revere Award from the Real World Economics Review for being the economist who first anticipated and gave public warning of the global financial collapse and whose work is most likely to prevent another one in the future. Okay, so you're the canary in the coal mine. Yeah, I'm back in the coal mine again because, unfortunately, the the canaries didn't get to take over the the discipline. You've still got the flat-footed eagles like Bernanke and co in charge of the damn thing, so... My warning went totally without effect on, on policy <laughs> and has totally no effect afterwards on the nature of economics. I think no effect is, is, is probably uh, slightly unfair on yourself, but all, all of our impacts are negligible unless you're, for some reason, Kanye West or something. You know, yeah, it's like, that's, that's it, the thing, yeah. yeah. I should be a rap artist, I'd do much better. Is it really infuriating, though, to keep saying these Incredibly things? Incredibly infuriating, because you just, when you, you see the saying, there's a cliff, you're going straight towards a cliff, there's a cliff, there's a cliff. Hi, how's it at the bottom of the cliff? You know, uh, here we go again. I'm feeling uh, the way I felt about the financial crisis now, I'm feeling about climate change for exactly the same reason. And when did you predict the, what, 2008, that it all went bananas? The the starting date of the crisis is actually August 14, 2007. That's the day that, speaking of the France, uh, this is the day the Banque Nationale de Paris uh, shut down three of its accounts, which were, they stopped withdrawals from three of their accounts, which were linked into the subprime market. They they simply couldn't evaluation. So that was the shock that began the whole thing. And I started warning of it in December of 2005. Oh, wow. Quite circumstantial as to why it was then, but I'd say December 23 was my first my first warning of the coming crisis. Well, I mean, we always like to ask our guests, what's keeping you up at night at the moment then? Potential extinction of the human race. <laughs> Do you, I, I take us... Yeah, I, that's a good one? Yeah, yeah, that works. No. Attention. I think I she's, keep she's up. She's got a sick sense of humour, this one. I, I, I mean, stay just, up at night for my, my, I, I, I would plot yeah. a graph and I would say that we're too dug in now. It's not going to wipe us out, but... More and more people would die, and this is how much we're going to do about it. And at some point, like that's a roll. two points yeah, that's some point But that's... at some point, it, you know, yeah. enough will be happening in this country that even if I'm reduced to living in a hut yeah. off berries, yeah. you know, we survive. That's the thing. It probably, it probably won't be us, right? Or, you know, we, it's going to take a lot for it to be us. It's going to be loads of other people in other countries that get it first. Right. I love, I love I love the sound of optimism in the morning. No, but you know, it will it will just be you're right. It's just that feeling of everything's a little more tarnished than it was last year. Like I'm, I'm gonna give you my scariest. Yeah, let's have okay, it. Let's have this, it. This, I read the academic literature on this stuff, not just what economists write, which is bullshit, but I read the scientists as well. On that front, the most interesting person I've read is I think it's John G. Anderson. Now he you shouldn't take him seriously, he's obviously a crank. He's only the professor of atmospheric chemistry at Harvard University. Mm. And he 
only discovered the hole in the ozone layer back in the 1870s. So Definite you don't take crank. them seriously, obviously. Yeah, yeah. He's a wanker, you know. Yeah. Okay. okay, okay. His research focuses on the ozone layer. And he argues, and this is the scariest thing I've read about climate change, because everybody puts in a sea rise and stuff like that. Yeah. This, this is what you should care about. So this is the guy who discovered the hole in the ozone layer. He led the campaign. Well, didn't lead. He was one of the important people in leading the campaign to close the hole by c- cutting down CFCs back in the late you know, 20th, uh, 20th century. He argues that when we lose the Arctic summer sea ice, and that's not a question of if, now it's when, and it could be in the next ten years, five to ten years, the earliest estimates I've seen from scientists are we're going to lose it in five years. Others saying 20, okay. When we lose it, the three circulation cells that, that determine the weather patterns in the northern hemisphere right now, so we have what's called the Hadley cell from zero to 30 degrees, the Ferris cell from 30 to 60, big circulation patterns in the atmosphere. In Fahrenheit you're in, yeah. Uh, Okay, no, no, this is degrees, north and south. Ah, so, oh, degrees okay. of altitude, yeah. right, okay. okay. Yeah, that'll, that'll break down. There'll be a uniform cell in the northern hemisphere. Now, bear in mind, I'm going to say some other people say that won't happen until 2170. So this is, you know, it's disputed, this particular claim. But he says when that happens, and he totally ignores what that might mean for humanity and says that what will then happen is that storms that are currently restricted to what's called the troposphere, so the bottom you know, 10 kilometres yeah, yeah. of the atmosphere, Typhoons. they will penetrate the stratosphere and they will take moisture into the stratosphere. Okay, now, that doesn't sound like much of a problem. The stratosphere is currently very dry. There's very little little H2O in the stratosphere. Most of it's all that's in the troposphere. But what it's going to carry up there is going to be chlorine and bromide. Oh, God. Where's it get that from? But anyway, let's carry on. 2017 article by this guy. In, in no, 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 where's it get the chloride and the bromide Well, from? unfortunately, not just from humans. We produce a huge amount of it, of course, and it doesn't, it's a trace element in the, yeah, and yeah. It, it doesn't damage anything here. It gets into the stratosphere. He said it'll increase the rate of destruction of ozone by a factor of 100. But his point is, if this happens, then uh, if, if the... The Arctic breaks now, which is the case of when, he says then that will also mean these storms take moisture and chlorine and bromide into the into the stratosphere and they will destroy the ozone layer. Well, it could be the end of the world then. It could be the end I, of the I world. I hadn't thought it from the perspective of we could turn ourselves into Pluto, you know, just like another crazy planet, the yeah. whole ecosystem, because I liked uh, what George Carlin said, a very famous thing. Oh, yeah, Carlin's oh, great. Fantastic. And he said, you know, everyone's like, oh, save the planet. So the planet's fine. I know. We're, we're going to be, we're fine. <laughs> That's We're right. fucked. But the planet's fine. The planet will sort it out. The planet yeah. doesn't give Either a shit. Ten, maybe um, ten to ten thousand or a million years. Yeah. It will just be. I mean, one of my mates who's a he's, a he's another professor of economics, but he did a degree in in uh, I think geology before he became an a, a, a economist. <laughs> and he really objects to people talking about what he calls the Anthropocene epoch, because an epoch is. 50 million years, 20 million years. A epoch long... means the end of the world, no, doesn't epoch it? No, epoch means a period. Epoch is a period of time. Oh, okay. like, you know, have the, oh that they have look the back the Jurassic, Jurassic period. Jurassic yeah, yeah, epoch 50 and million, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. Okay, you said it's not... He said, that's, it's not going to be the Anthropocene epoch. We won't last an hour. We haven't been around that long. Well, we, 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 what are we, the last few seconds before midnight, you know, what the human race? It, it is the, when you look at it geologically, it's the Anthropocene event. This species turned up, you know, 200,000 years ago, started building industrial civilizations or you know, sedentary civilizations 12,000 years ago and in 13,000 years wipes themselves out. So that is 13,000 years, not 13 million. No. Yeah. It'll be an event. It'll be as 
virtually as fast as being hit by a meteor. Oh, no, it's when you say, oh, and they rule the earth for 150 million years. It's, it's like, you know, you suddenly think about the British Empire. Oh, the British Empire ruled the what? For you 150, know. if you're lucky. <laughs> Not million, 150 years. So that's what, that, and that's the stuff we're ignoring. And that's not the sort of thing you should ignore. But I don't, I genuinely don't get it because everybody, you know, I don't have any kids, but I've got nieces. Everybody has another generation, whoever you are. There is another generation coming up and another one after that. And you want to see the people you love and care about and their offspring thrive. Why is it that it's so hard for us to go, okay, it might not benefit us in our lifetime, but it's going to benefit the lifetime of those people we care about or the people we care about. Yeah, but we think about that about in terms of, you know, not wanting to eat too much or get too drunk. You know, it's it's in the benefit of my family, you know, but 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 then then I then I just thought, fuck it, I'll have a burger and go to Paris. I know, but Rishi Sunak should be thinking Rishi Sunak, he's in in theory in control of this country. He should be thinking, I may have all the money in the world, and I really do, but I've got children that will die of cancer at the age of, you know, 50. That's that's, that's where economists have been vital because they've trivialised the whole thing. They've got no fucking idea of what climate change actually is and because they come from the perspective that capitalism is the world's most flexible social system and it can cope with anything, therefore climate change can't be a problem. Mm. And therefore they've said, well, let's, 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 you know, and they've trivialised the dangers and then what people, like... What the economists have trivialised the dangers, oh, you totally, feel? totally. Ah, interesting. Because, because it doesn't help with making money, presumably. They're sort of the wrong art form. It's a bit like a sort of, you know, an accountant advising a graphic designer or whatever. Well, that's you know. the thing, yeah. And the thing is economists have, you know, they've weaseled their way into power in every every part of society. You go to a, you know, a, a, any major financial company, its boss is going to be an economist. He's going to have a chief economist advising him or the... Really? The, in the really big companies? In the, not so much in the... the, 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 the you might get the Richard Branson's turn up there at the, the actual at originators but they'll surround themselves with staff. Maybe we're, make, we're, maybe we're making a mistake because we, 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 you know, now and then we like to have an economist on the show to tell us what the hell's going on. Well, I haven't got a clue, so... But you want people... <laughs> it's because if you're running a company, you want somebody who can, in theory, tell you what's going to happen in the next yeah, 20 years. Yeah, and that's years. like when you're, when you're a, 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 um, a chief in Africa back in 10,000 years ago, you want a witch doctor who can tell you what the chicken entrails say about the future. So in that sense, economists are the chicken entrail readers of capitalism. There's, a, there's a, something fascinating in the way that there's, you're made to feel shit about it. Not you personally, but this problem about new ideas. You know, and I mean, I could give a sort of um, ridiculous example. Maybe it's that like... You know, trickle-down economy would work if we didn't make people feel embarrassed about spending money and we were a bit more like, spend your money, you know, <laughs> and just go for it and you could be outlandish. But it's, you know, it, it's all about we, we, we the, the, the concern of how people perceive our behaviour and how the little, you know, because you, why do you feel... You know, no one listened. No, no one can stop that juggernaut, can no, they? The thing is, I'm trying to take the punch bowl away while the party is still going. Yeah. Okay, that's that's a major part of it. But you can't. I'm just thinking, like, nobody can stop the train, man. You know, can they? You know, it doesn't no, matter it how just, big you are. You'd be fine if you were trying to add gin to the punch bowl, but you're trying to take it away. I'm trying to take the gin out of the punch bowl. Punch bowl stealer. And, that's, and that's, that's the dilemma. And the thing is, we're, we're not creatures that think systemically, okay? We think about, you know, the events that surround us. That's what me. we go. I think about me. Yeah. We yeah, think about yeah. ourselves, yeah. 
And we don't and think the systemic stuff is just too complicated for most people and they don't systemic think Systemic means what? System? The actual the system. system. How does the system itself function? So economists get listened to because they're supposed to be experts on the system. They're not. Okay. But and, and that's that's the danger. If we had people actually were experts on the system, they would have said, yeah, limits to growth, very accurate. That could happen. We've got to cut back on population growth. We've got to start changing from fossil fuels. That was back in 1972. Instead, what did the economists do? They can totally derided limits to growth. They said, ignore these bastards. We can grow at a rapid rate forever. And that, that told us, basically, the party we're in now can go on indefinitely. So let's continue the party. That's been their attitude. Oh, it's just it's something, it's just, it doesn't make sense, does it? You Not know? at all. But, that's, but that's, we that's all what know that you can't have a party without a hangover. Very well said. I'm going to take that Thank one you. away. But, but, but the interesting <laughs> thing is there are some economists and clever people. I mean, these are clever people. These aren't idiots who were like, it's all bullshit. Just keep printing the money and let the dream go on. It's all an illusion. You well, know? yeah, I mean, clever people learning a dumb theory can turn up like uh, uh, people who follow Jonestown. Yeah. You know, and that's the trouble. It What's takes Jonestown. It's an American the, thing. Um, the Kool Aid. You ever the Kool Aid of David Paris? Koresh, isn't it? Drinking their own Kool Aid. Drinking their yeah, Kool Aid, yeah. Was... Uh. So they've swallowed this theory, and it's incredibly convincing. I believed it when I was at high school, mainstream economics, and I was lucky to have a lecturer who was actually English, I think he was from Manchester, uh, who pointed out a flaw in the theory in first year economics, and that flaw completely inverted the advice of economics, rather than saying you should abolish trade unions, it said you should hang on to them. They're necessary. Yeah? And I thought, before I learnt this lecture, I thought getting rid of trade unions would be a good idea, you know, make the labour market competitive. And he gives this perfectly legitimate mainstream explanation as to why that would be a bad idea. And I thought, holy hell, simply admitting that they're both trade unions and industrial concentrations, monopolies, whatever else, mm. is enough to mean that rather than abolishing trade unions, you should hang on to them so long as you've also got monopolies or, you know, major industrial agglomerations. It's a balance almost. Yeah, it's yeah. A, it's a and that makes sense. It's a yin and, yin and yang thing. You have power on one side. Well, one was created the by the other. Don't, don't no, yeah, ignore one the laws of fake nature. Something made that necessary. One of them balanced the other. Now, mainstream economics says you get rid of both of them, but it doesn't matter with the sequence in which you do it. And, and, of course, it's impossible to get rid of Richard Branson, so they get mm. rid of the trade unions instead. When you put this, what's called the theory of the second best in, it says, well, no, if you've got one and you get rid of, you've got two and you get rid of one, you'll make welfare worse. Yeah. And I thought, this is crazy. Well, well, say that. Okay. It's just, it's, if, it's, if, if you have trade unions and you've got uh, industrial organisations yeah. negotiating the wage, then according to what's called the theory of the second best, it goes back to the 1950s, in fact, a guy called Kelvin Lancaster invented the idea. Okay. So Kelvin uh, worked out that if you, if you if you're using strictly straight economic theory but saying you have both a monopoly supplier of labour, so a trade union, yeah. facing a monopoly buyer, so an industrial yeah. organisation, yeah. if you got rid of one or the other, you necessarily made the welfare outcome worse. Absolutely. Yeah, but that makes logical sense. But what have we done? We've abolished trade unions in the last 40 years. We've, we've wiped them out. I, okay? I know. Okay? Because we followed the, the simplified version of economic theory, so that's a good idea. But let's take that further. My, my, I can hear my old man screaming at the radio now. But, you know, that yeah. you live, you know, if you live, if you live through, you know, strikes and stuff and, you know. Yeah, but just to be clear, right, if you go back to Maggie Thatcher... Right, who came in after the Don't winter of discontent? Right, The first thing Maggie Thatcher did was increase everybody's pay by a fuck ton, so that nobody stri went on strike anymore. Sure. You know, but 
she increased pay for everybody and everybody was then happy. Oh my God, that was so, something positive about Maggie Thatcher. Yeah, because, but my point being, trade unions worked. Yes, yeah, a really interesting point. I'm just just threading. So trade unions are quite strong in Australia. No, they're not. Not anymore, maybe. Not anymore. Stronger than here. That's not hard. No, yeah. <laughs> that's like the rest of the fucking world, apart anyway, from America. What is the problem that we think that we have with trade unions and what is the advantage? Uh, the advantage of trade unions is a balance, but what is, what is the, why are you saying well, that? You, why if, do you care whether there's trade unions? Because you bargain over the wage. The wages, see, the conventional economic they have, theory... They have bargaining power. bargaining power. Conventional economic theory says the wage simply reflects what they call the marginal product of labour, OK? So whatever you contribute... Whatever the last worker contributes to output is the wage that all workers get. And that's the theory, and we should let the market reach that point. Now, even if you accept that theory, and it's wrong empirically, and all sorts of other problems with it, even if you accept that theory, and you say you've got monopoly buyers of labour, what they call monopsony on one side, and monopoly supply of labour on the other, you will fall somewhere between one side or the other of that, of that marginal product line. But if you get rid of the... Um, one side, if you get rid of the trade unions, you'll get the wage being less than the marginal product of labour. So workers are being ripped off, according to conventional theory. It would be interesting to get your view on what is going on in the UK right now. So. Oh, this comes down to, you know, what's the government's role in this society? And partly it's, you know, providing all the, the things which uh, you, you want to be there for the, for the private sector to function properly. So you want people to get to work, for example you know, mm-hmm. and not go bankrupt getting to work. So you want a public transport system that works, that sort that of thing. That would be nice. That Never would be nice, happen. yeah. Um, you want health, you want education, those sorts of things. And they're things which if you make it profitable, they then only the people who can afford to pay the price actually get it and you end up with an uned- uneducated bottom strata of society, which means you can't develop all the uneducated advanced technology and you want. Okay? bottom so strata. It, it undermines the capacity to develop an advanced civilization. So that's that's a you know, productive role of of, of, uh, of the public sector is to provide the goods which you need everybody to have, okay? Otherwise, you don't have a functioning society. So that's you, know, you don't do that by spending less, okay? You have to have a certain amount which is covered by government spending. When you have high government spending, you've also got to have high government taxation because if you have high spending without taking the excess money the government creates out of circulation, you're going to have inflation... You're going to be importing too many goods. You have a trade deficit, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a reason for having a high taxing government is because you also want to have a high spending government. If you look at what's happening in, like, the Scandinavian countries, they've got a far higher rate of tax than here because they also have a high, far, far higher rate of spending. And people might get lower, you know, effective salaries out of that, but they know that all the basic stuff is covered. Yeah, Germany, Sweden, Norway, all these yeah. places, the taxes are, are, I mean, Social Security in Germany on any employees, 34% or something, you know, it's like, and I remember saying to my German colleagues, uh, Manfred saying, well, what's the health system like? It's excellent. <laughs> I was like, That's basically it, yeah, and the education system, free. The terrifying thing is the disparity, you look at the figures they publish of the difference between the most well-off and the least well-off in any country. That's huge, And yeah. we are absolutely at the oh, bottom of that right. list. And the ONS came out, and Office of National Statistics came out with a tweet uh, saying that 24% of Britons reported they could not afford to keep themselves warm in November and December. Now, 24% of the population can't afford to keep warm in a country which is cold. 
there's something wrong with your society. I mean, I don't want to be like, I'll just get struck down by both of you, but I find those stats always a bit like someone ticked a box to say that, you know, but I, I, there's definitely huge inequality, but I'd love to know the real stat. Maybe it's higher. I'm just saying, you yeah. know, th th this information when people give it I to you. I saw a stat like, today about average, the average price people are paying for energy in different countries in Europe. And most of Europe, pretty much all of Europe, per year, the average price is 800 and something euros yeah. or whatever, right? UK, it's 2,000 and something. Yeah, and, and weirdly, even though we were the only ones who for ages were like, ah, Russia, and we'd like, with Norway are our mates, I, I, you know, Norwegian British Chamber or yeah. something where Norway business were very but involved in. if you're in, earning, you know. you know, what's an average salary in the UK? 30-something 30, 30 grand? 20-something, 20-something, 30-something. It's not a lot. And you've got to pay... Two and a half grand in energy Almost bills. Almost 10% That's insane. of your gross salary going it's on just energy. just insane. Yeah. And we ended up in a dysfunctional society in the UK because you've swallowed the argument the private sector does everything better. Yeah. The private sector doesn't do health yeah. better. It doesn't do education better. It only ends up doing better by comparison because the other one's underfunded and falling apart, you know, and can't cope with what it has. You know, it's, 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 it's uh, dispiriting. I mean, I find the difficult thing here that the equality is is a hugely, um, and it's getting worse. It's getting worse everywhere, but it's getting worse here. It's getting really bad here. The inequality and is then, terrifying. And then I know, you, you know, you, 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 you may have something to say on this, but, you know, should we rejoin the EU? Like, you know, we were in the EU and that actually the people who voted for it were probably a lot of the people suffering with inequality and it's made... It will make the... I mean, just a simple economics, a simple economics... Yeah, look, you know, I voted for Brexit. You know why? Because I thought it would tell the EU they had to get their act together. Instead, okay, great. it's been Thanks totally... That, the, the British completely fucked it up. Yeah, we really, really fucked really it up. Really fucked it up. Do and you think after the vote came in, you must think what I thought, that people were like, okay, we voted that, but now let's have a sensible conversation yeah, about what it, that means. And what and did we did, Osborne we resigns like, a couple of days later. You get David Frost can't even, you know, defend I don't his think own Cam decisions. I don't think Cameron should have resigned, in all honesty. Cameron should have said, okay, it was only by 51%. Let's have a conversation. Let's talk about what this means. Let's have some, you know, this this is an indicative vote. But it was just like everyone was like, right, that's it. But we also Dave. still can't say. Stupidly handled, very stupidly handled. We also still can't say. We've got this like kind of insane thing in the UK where we still can't say that there is anything wrong with Brexit. No, it's reasonable. Looking at it, the way it's been handled was a mistake. If I'd known what the vote would have gone, I wouldn't have got out of bed. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Clark got its start back in 1935 And while the world has changed a bit It's more than just survived From complying with the FCA And all things financy They can also speak fluently In the language of legalese Ori Clark was born and raised Right here in the UK And now for 20 years They've been helping others Get set up and on their way Ori Clark's door's always open and happy to provide straight talking financial and legal advice since 1935. Big shout out to Sean Veer Singh for a stellar jingle. You can find him at Sean Veer Singh Music on Instagram. And at this point, let me quickly remind you to give us a nice review, please, on Apple Podcast or follow us on Spotify so you'll never miss an episode. Now back to the chat. Uh, so is there anything that you think is bullshit in business? In business? Mm. 
three months, three months reporting and, and uh, stockholder value, that whole focus. Uh, you go back to your German argument, the reason Germany works better corporately is they have what they call the Aufersrat, which is a parallel board that has members of unions and the community and suppliers in terms of managing a company. No way, so I didn't that know that. gives you a longer-term perspective. And the Britain's Britain, three months reporting, that's one reason you guys have gone down the... To gurgler and three Germany's months reporting to who? Uh, the, 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 you got to you, you, you increase your stock price every three months. That, that's short term yeah, perspective. Yeah. That's destructive for the long term. Oh, so what in terms of the city and all of that that they should start saying what have a, uh, is it not getting there that they've now got to report on multi levels or something? No, it's all bullshit. I mean the ESG most of what's been done in ESG is just nonsense. Yeah, they haven't they haven't taken it on seriously. It's all for the sake of appearances rather than really changing how a company behaves. How would how would Britain change how it's operating, though? Introduce the board thing like Germany? Well, I think for a start, you wouldn't run down your apprenticeship system. Oh, it's ridiculous. And you ridiculous. look at how dreadful the apprenticeships are and how you've run, you've, you've got rid of all your tertiary, your, uh, your um, skilled uh, workforce training, what you used to call the technical and further education in Australia, whatever they could call here. They got turned into universities. So you, you and, and it's all about status. It's not about actually knowing what you, polytechnics, yeah. You go to Germany. I mean, being an apprentice uh, machine tool maker you're working on serious technology. But do you not take the... We discussed this in Martin Wolf when he was saying how there's, uh, we should avoid the romanticism that we're going to return to what Britain was 20, 200 years ago. You know, we're really good at life sciences. You know, we should encourage the apprenticeship world of life science, which is kind of university, isn't it? But if you go back and look at how much of... Uh, Britain's GDP is manufacturing versus how much is Germany's. I think it was something in the order of 30%, was 25 to 30% of the GDP was manufacturing back in Maggie Thatcher's day. Now it's about eight. Look at Germany, roughly 30%, but now it's roughly 30%. Yeah. Okay, they stuck with the manufacturing side. Oh, it's ridiculous that we didn't invest in this country. Yeah. We're good inventors, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's happened in Australia too with Holden, hasn't it? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, well, Holden was a, was a, was a wank, but uh, like uh, Australia made the world's first micro laptop computer. Did it really? Well, the Dolmont Magnum. Okay, I own three Don, of them. The Don Don, Don Magnum. Magnum. Don, Magnum. I think Magnum. Australians should get to name everything around the world. <laughs> it would be so much more fun. Everything will end in O. Uh, yeah, well, that would have, you know, with the Aboriginal, the Aboriginal names are the best, but even oh, the Australian Gligan names. Gligenbone, Coonabarra brand, fantastic names. Yeah, they roll off the tongue. They're And they marvelous. say, oh, we, we do it to, to, to make it quicker. And then sometimes they make the word longer, which amazes yeah, 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 me. Yeah, and Jack, yeah, yeah, it becomes Stevie. Stevie, Stevie. I yeah. Oh, he's watching a doco with Steve-O and he said that he's got to go feed Beano. <laughs> you can do it well. Him. You've been there too much, obviously. <laughs> yeah. uh, with this one, we're going to ask you a series of questions yeah. uh, get you to know you a little better. You've only got five seconds to answer each. Okay. Me and Pippa are not going to interrupt you. He's going to interrupt. I'm not. <laughs> D, key the music. Thank you very much. What was your first job? First job, uh, working in the Bank of New South Wales. I'm not going to interrupt. What was your worst job? Uh, working for a bunch called Trash and Treasure. Uh, oh. uh, weekly putting out, uh, you know, people for selling secondhand junk and stuff like that. Was great for the people, but the person around it was a total asshole. We'd turn up every week to check in what we were doing with shithouse wages. He'd arrive in a Rolls Royce with a different dolly bird on his arm every, every, every Sunday. So that was probably the worst job. Favourite subject at school? Uh, physics. Hmm. Yeah. Except they had a lousy Good physics teacher. Good at math teacher. too, were you? Yeah. Must have been. Mm. What's your special skill? <laughs> Seeing through bullshit. <laughs> what did you want to be when you grew up? 
I wanted to be a physicist, but I had six years of lousy physics teachers, so I ended up as an economist instead. Or a tennis player. Teachers make all the difference. They do. Uh, what did your parents want you to be when you grew up? Uh, probably an accountant. Ah. My dad was the mum, dad was bank manager. Was he a bank manager? He was oh, a bank manager. Definitely wanted you to be an accountant. There you go. What's your, job. what's your go-to karaoke song? <laughs> uh, House of the Rising Sun. Oh, oh, there is a classic. House in New Orleans. Um, office dogs. Where's he office dog? Business or bullshit? Bullshit. <laughs> it's healthier than business. Uh, have you ever been fired? Uh, yes. Oh, okay, Probably. you have to okay. think about that. Oh, don't write that down. Not going to ask, not going to ask. Uh, what's your vice? <laughs> uh, it, it, grows on, it grows on a plant. Where did you get fired from? Uh, I could say Kingston University. What did you do? Well, um, I walked into... I didn't quite get fired. I, I, resigned, I, I got me out of the damn job, which I wanted to do. This is, this is really... Speaking out of turn, but I, when I got the head of office, the job as head of school, I was looking forward to getting my office and meeting my secretarial staff. I got no secretarial staff, and my office was one third the size of this room and had a big patch of mould on the wall. Yeah, it was dreadful. Okay, terrible situation. And I then went back one day, years years later. They'd kicked us out of the building. The vice chancellor had moved inside, and my office as head of school had been turned into a canteen for the vice chancellor's staff, a kitchenette. And I lost it in front of the staff. I was quite abusive, not at all my normal behaviour. And you'd uh, had a bad IT day. Maybe. I had a bad IT day, and I thought, you know, this was my slummy office, and you guys turned it into a kitchenette. I was head of department of forty staff, supposedly answering to me. And I had a, this trivial room, you've turned it to a kitchenette. So, yeah, uh, it was not quite sack, but by mutual agreement, I left that day. Yeah, wow. Fair enough. Yeah, good. Tick, uh, did I write anything in? Trash and Treasure, best company name ever. <laughs> <laughs> Do you not think you were just a little bit, you know, it's that you're doing a shit job and he's living the life? And basically, you know, Richard Branson probably shouldn't have his swimming pool, his hookers. No, his... look, Richard Branson, this guy, it wasn't just the fact he turned up with a Dolly Bird every, oh. a different Dolly Bird every week and a Rolls Royce, okay? It was also the fact that they used to dock our pay. People paid two bucks to get in or 20 bucks to be a stallholder. And if we made two mistakes, like missed two people coming inside, our pay got docked. Oh, my God. Yeah. So as we do he was an arsehole, that's we, what it was. Yeah, we started then, you know, hiding how many were coming in to pocket the money for ourselves, okay? So his, you know, greed towards us yeah. made us rapacious towards him. It was bloody awful. I love the people I work with. I love the stallholders and stuff like that, but this guy was an asshole. And the management system meant we behaved criminally to get away from his asshole behaviour. Okay, so this is where we give you 30 seconds, Steve, to pitch your company, podcast, book, whatever you want to pitch. Okay, I'm go. going to pitch a software package I'm developing called Ravel, uh, which, which is, uh, if you ever used a pivot table... Oh, it, yes. Okay, they're, they're bullshit, and I've worked out a far better way to handle multidimensional data, and I'll be launching it in the next six months. Wow. I want to sell the IP because I'd rather put my time into doing my non-standard economic research, so I'm open to offers. Uh, but uh, Ravel will run rings around Tableau, Power BI, et cetera, et cetera. They're primitive compared to what I can do with Ravel. My graphics are primitive right now. That's the part I'm working on. But the underlying power wipes out anything you might do with pivot tables. So anybody using pivot tables, get in touch. 
Well, we use them a lot as accountants. I mean, we live off them. Oh, they're boring. They're I, so hard to analyze. Mine's much, much faster, much easier. I would just say, don't say you do non-standard economic research. Say you do non-bullshit economic non, research. Because non-standard it. I, I throws actually you. might have that as the subtitle for the Keen Institute. It makes much more sense. Non-bullshit economics. Because, yep. because non-standard is like, oh, I'm a weirdo from the state doc. If, you, if I get the funding for the Keen Institute... I promise, non-bullshit economics yeah. is the subtitle. Uh, it's not that offensive anymore. And apparently. Steve, if people want to get in touch with you, where do they find you? Uh, Patreon and Substack, the main places. So I've got a, my Patreon is www.patreon.com slash profstevekeen and the Substack is profstevekeen.substack.com. Those are the two best locations. Fantastic, thank you. So there you have it. That was this week's episode of Business Without Bullshit. Very good. Thanks, Pippa. Thanks, Steve. We'll be back with BWB Extra on Thursday. Until then, it's ciao.